out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello again. This is part two of my interview with Peter Kemba from Spaceman 3 and also Sonic Boom. Um, we just were having a little bit of a Zoom moment, which we won't need to go into. Anyway, look, we return very soon after part one. Um, and then we were talking a lot about, well, I think we were talking about Zoom, actually. And then we were talking about the, the early years of Spaceman 3 and the dynamic within the band and the environment that they were growing up in during those days in rugby, I do believe. Anyway, this is um, Peter talking about those peri- that period. And um, yes, just enjoy. I mean, frankly, it's a free country. If you want to, go for it. If you don't, don't bother. Anyway, look, Peter, take it away. I think partly the environment that we were in as well. Um, you know, it's not the worst place in the world, rugby. But I think that there's a some sort of, I'm not sure how to put this. There wasn't a lot of support for us locally. It's, it's probably the nicest way I can put it. Not universal, not everyone. There were some people who supported us extremely, but they were, uh, they were quite rare. I can, I can think of maybe 10 or a dozen at the most which I think is um, a shame, sad, just the way it was. But we, we were, you know, we were, we were an interesting bunch of people. And, uh, you know, I was a total fuck up. You know, what can I tell you? I was fucking super drugged up a lot. So, um, uh, we didn't have a great relationship by that point. It, it, it is sort of, you know, yeah. And how did you find a tour in America? Because I know a lot of British bands who often mention about their kind of life and they, their kind of well, yeah, their period together is often the American experience can sort of finish them off in, in sort of... Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's touring that really fucked us up. I have to tell you, you know, playing, you know, 30 shows, uh, you know, or, or a month of stuff where you maybe have two or three days off in that time. Pretty relentless on the, on, you know, the, 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 the low levels of these absolute bottom feeders in the, in the music industry, as, it, as people might refer to it these days. Um, it wasn't easy. <laughs> it was an uphill slog all the way. And uh, it's kind of amazing that we did get together what we did. And it was through, I guess, it was through Jason and myself just being driven to do it and taking different aspects and, and doing it and sharing it between us and, uh, and other members of the band in different, in different ways. Yes. Uh, um, what would, what's your memories of your the fourth album recurring which was on on fire records but this is kind of 91 which was kind of the the height of the seattle grunge scene as well as kind of my bloody valentine did you were you sort of four four albums for a band is pretty good going isn't it i think it's you know i 
I never, I, I always say this, but I never wanted to make a lot of records. I don't see the point in churning out stuff and having mediocre records or, I don't, I don't mind if some people don't like some of them, but uh, if, if I felt that there was any level of just doing shit for the sake of it to, to pass go to collect the 200 quid and go around the fucking board again, if I thought that's why I was doing it, I, would, I might as well go and do any fucking job. You know, I, I always joke that I'm professionally self-unemployed and um, you know that I work. I worked hard not to have a job, <laughs> and <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of sums it up for me. You know, it wasn't the easy route, and and um, I feel I've been really lucky in the people I've got to work with and the generosity of people in general that um, I managed to scrape through. But there were there were some there were some decades, let alone some years, that were. Um, a bit threadbare, so um, yes. And with that support of friends and family and stuff like that, um, you know, I he supported me in doing what I was doing and, and and encouraged me to keep doing stuff. And uh, I remember having some moments of sort of mental crisis in the. I suppose it would have been would have been in the 90s or something, probably. And I remember talking to my dad and going, I, I, I'm going to think I'm going to stop making music. I'm just, gonna, I, I'm just not really getting by doing it. I think I'm going to think about doing something else. I don't know. And he sort of turned and looked at me and went, what are you fucking joking? What else are you gonna do? You know, you're not qualified for anything. You dropped out of all that, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'd stick with it. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought it was, it was kind of a, it was a pivotal moment because he could have easily gone, yes, yes, you should, you should go and work at a bank or yeah, you should, you should retrain or something. But he was like very supportive in that way and. You know, being like, you know, son, is you got to take the rough with the smooth, but just have faith and keep going. Um, so, yeah. had there been sort of had there been some really dark periods then during the sort of the end of that band, but also during the nineties where things were getting quite desperate? Yeah, I mean the uh, the, the the label that we were on fire. It just all got a little bit toxic between us and the label and our managers. Our manager, and uh, it just got, it just got toxic. And when it was clear that the band had broken up before Recurring came out, but we, what, we, no one was allowed to to say that uh, until after the album came out. And then Fire sort of decided to use the band breaking up as the way to promote the record. And the press release and everything and the whole projection of it, which I, I certainly uh, didn't approve, and I doubt Jason did either. Sort of, that was the thing. That was the that was its you know USP. That was what they were going to fucking put it forward. So the whole thing has got super toxic, super horrible, really quickly, and you know people going to the, their sides and and seeing no fucking middle ground and 
Um, I mean, you know, it is what it is. It, it, it is what it was. And it wasn't, I, I don't really remember, I don't really think about it like that. And there was loads of bad bullshit. But um, I sort of remember the overall picture and remember it you know, pretty fondly. And um, I, all the members who are still alive, you know, I keep in touch with them. I, I have you know, a pretty reasonable relationship with most of them. So, um, yeah. Did you kind of, did you, I don't think enjoy is probably the right word, but when you became much more of a solo artist in the 90s with Sonic Boom and Spectrum, did you, did that feel quite a relief to have walked away from the sort of slight kind of carnage that was the, the end of the band with, you know, the label? And well, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure this went two ways. I'm sure Jason felt the same. I'm sure he felt exactly the fucking same that we just realized that we both sort of had a different mindset about the way that we wanted to proceed with our music and our lives and things. And the idea of being tied to someone who you're not seeing eye to eye with is just such a crazy thing that, uh, yeah, I, you know, it was just, we were just, you know, it was just, we were bad for each other. And it was, it was just through trying to figure it out ourselves and say, there were no, you know, now, now you, you, you can't fucking get out of bed for being run over by a million different music courses and production courses. And, you know, it, it almost didn't exist back then. And, you know, there's loads of, there's bands who I work with and kids come through different, you know, more liberal artsy colleges. And this, they, they help them understand a lot of the detail of stuff that stops problems happening. And, you know, we, like things, this, you know, things like songwriting, you know, it's really fucking in itself, that's a kind of toxic thing because, there's these models that go back, I think mostly to sheet music, that are just stupid, that it's just wrong. You know, if, you, if someone wrote the lyrics and someone wrote the melody, that's it. It's, it's fucking nonsense. But we sort of bought into that uh, way of thinking because that's what, that's the way we were told that it was done. And I always really admired bands who recognized that everyone, that the band only existed with all of them and that they were all equally. And some of the things that, you know, we tried to apportion who did what. And it was really, you can't measure these things, you know. You really fucking can't. The dude who turned up late and, and, and whacked down the sax solo in the first take and then was so drunk he had to fucking pour him into a taxi to get him home. Actually did the greatest hook saxophone ever known to exist. Um, why am I thinking about Baker Street? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 but um, I guess that dude, I do know, that, no, I guess what I'm thinking of him is because there's a story that he got paid almost nothing to do that, but I think they redressed the balance later on. And I think the Lord was recognized that it's not as simple as the DD walked in with the lyrics and the DD had the little melody on the piano that everyone hung everything around. 
So, but anyway, so that was kind of not good. And it's still like that in some ways. Some of the royalties uh, different band members have are still unequal. And um, I personally think it should be, I think, at this point. Um, but it, there's some swings and roundabouts. I'm the only member who played on Big City, but when we got it synced with The Simpsons, I split the money with everyone who was on that record, that album, even though they didn't play on that song. And uh, I think, you know, those, they all fucking committed themselves for some years to, to trying to do it. And uh, I, I, I definitely think that we made some stupid, childish decisions and uh, yeah. Were you tempted at one stage when Alan McGee came along with Creation to have signed? Do you regret never sort of signing to them? Creation was such a fucking crazy phenomena. I mean, I was listening to uh, one of their acid compilations. They did a double album called, um, uh, let me see if I can, I can't remember what it's fucking called now. I want to say it's going to keep in the faith. It might actually be called that. But um, yeah, just for keeping the faith. That's so fucking awesome, and, you know. And this is from their sort of acid. It has like remixes of Primal Scream on it. It has the JVC thing, "We Love You," which is awesome. My buddy Valentine, Andy Weatherall mix. Um, but it's uh, really fucking awesome. They they had they had so many layers of awesome, but they also had a lot of layers, and no one would, no no one. You know, if you were the Jasmine Minx or even Biff Bang Pow, actually, um, you could, uh, it didn't matter that, that you ran the record label, that the two main guys were also the main guys at creation. Um, so I don't know. And the, when Alan was keen to sign us, I, uh, they were signing My Buddy Valentine at the same time. And I, who were very successful with creation, and I sort of wondered if we might have been and also ran in that race. I'm not sure it would. I think we were better in a way being on our own. And it's not because of Alan. It's not, they were awesome label, awesome people, all of them that I ever met at Creation. And Jeff Barrett and people who did the press. They were really fucking cool people. Um, and it was kind of, I mean, at the time, of course, it just took all these things for granted. I was just like, you know, it's just, I guess this is what life is like. You know, I was, you know, 20 something, I was 23 or what have you, and 88, I'd be 23. Um, and I just guess I thought life was always that awesome. And of course, I look back now at that era and go, fuck, that was really crazy. And as I mentioned earlier, it was also this big cultural shift when all the football dudes or, you know, the, the more blokey side of, of English culture were um, all doing MDMA. And yeah. they, were, they were hugging, not fighting. And it was, <laughs> it was a big improvement. People stopped chasing me. <laughs> well, I know. Casuals. The casuals, indeed, because it was kind of it was kind of interesting that kind of eighty seven, eighty eight period. Because when the Smiths broke up, that felt like a chapter of indie pop, the jingly jangly world, 
C86, all those bands like Stump, Big Flame, Bog Shed, they'd all sort of had their day. I'm not completely 100% sure because they might have still had another album, but their, their kind of lifespan was finishing. But there was definitely a new chapter with the world that was Ecstasy and Primal Scream and the Stone Roses yeah. and the Happy Mondays who sort of hit that groove. So there was definitely a, the new chapter, a bit like when I was saying at the beginning in 73 with Nick Kent who was writing and people were still waiting for the Beatles to reform it was like well no they're not actually, are they? they're not it's like that 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 ship has sailed now that's kind of gone down the line you know so um <coughs> we're conditioned and dogmatically repeat things like you know to be sorry about death and to be sad about death and it, it's, a, it's kind of the same, I think. It's kind of just, it's nonsense, you know? It's fucking, it, it's the one fucking guaranteed thing about your life. If you get given the life, it's that you will die. And yet somehow we look at it like it's some, oh, it's so sad because he could have lived to, to 28,000. And, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, you know? We fucking roll the dice. You, you, we see what we get, and we should accept it and be happy. And anyone you ever knew is—it's just gain. All if—if if you love that person, all you have from them is gain. There's no loss when they're gone. That's insane. Uh, I saw a thing. <coughs> I might have, actually was it in the Adam Curtis thing? They had that woman who'd been brainwashed by the CIA. They gave her mm. lots of acid and <laughs> electro fucking therapy and all the sort of wonderful things the CIA liked to do. And I really liked it. She said she went to a funeral of a friend and everyone was really sad there and she couldn't understand because she didn't have this programmed response of oh someone's died oh it's really sad and she said i didn't feel it and i, was, I said that's fucking really interesting but that totally illustrates what i think that we can we're conditioned and, and dogmatically told that that's the way it is and we buy into it and we end up doing it and getting sad and and all the rest of it and it, i think it's 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 crazy Yes, absolutely. No, it was an interesting. And you're, I'm just coming straight, well, not straight, but to the, to the current day, almost. You, your last album, All Things Being Equal, which came out last year, which must have been, was that quite an odd experience during the pandemic to sort of be working to this project? <laughs> well, it, the record um, was about our, our society and uh, about, I hate the fucking word, but our race being at a, you know, we're, we're, we're skidding through a fucking closing door that's about to fucking close. And if we don't fucking start thinking about things deeply in different ways and educating people from as soon as they can learn and, and stop and stop all this nonsense. I mean, teaching in schools is kind of, for me, is a weird, I always felt at school, I never understood why I was taught to repeat things. And I was, I never liked it. I never, I, I, a lot of it had some, you know, I used to get into it a lot with my divinity teacher who, who thought I was, I'd been sent to try him, I think. But it's just, this is just absolute fucking nonsense. And you're telling us to just repeat this shit. What the fuck's going on? 
and they don't they, they, they tell you what to think they don't teach you how to think and or there's not enough of that and i think you have to give people the tools and the um sensibility and the the sense of everything and and what uh, uh, the big picture, which they, I don't feel they do uh, in the right way. And, and the other thing that always used to really crack me up was, you know, it's a scientific fact. Well, if you look at history of scientific facts, they, they don't have anything like the, of the, any of the permanence in which a lot of scientists will tell you that they have. It's not like maths where it's an actual logic in itself and the sort of language of logic and incredibly um you know versatile tool you know science is the best fucking information we have as of yesterday and tomorrow we'll all be laughing at that and and saying it's all a totally different thing and you know it's a, it's a it's a building process but we always have this thing that we've fucking got there and we fucking understand everything uh, I just think it's such nonsense. So yeah. Um, but does that does that mean that you've ever sort of wandered into any not sort of not spiritual path, but you know anything that you feel has been quite different now than what it had been in the past? You know, to get to where you are in this current time. You know, because obviously you've gone through a lot of journeys and a lot of different places and been in up and down position, you know, like this. Um, well, I, I, I fix myself with psychedelic drugs. I, um, I was reading something in the last year or so where people were quoting an ayahuasca uh, experience. Um, a psychotherapist had said that it was equivalent to 10 years of psychotherapy two was equivalent to 20 years or as much as could be done with psychotherapy with a subject and i you know there's a lot of things that i feel that i understand really deeply and i learned really deeply from psychedelics because you know there's, there's something about the ring of truth <laughs> when something is has a deeply true resonance it's really fucking hard to uh hard to deny it you know it's sort of empirically proven over and over um i i found that through psychedelic drugs i think what they do to your thinking is really um interesting and and that um, they're a massive bullshit detector of course as well you know the things that people do and people say and all these things just become the most ridiculously stupid it becomes very very clearly visible i think also in people as well you know we we the thing that the thing that's also really i think really important is to have different perspectives and to be able to see things from different perspectives as many perspectives as possible in some ways or within reason and i think psychedelic drugs is also one of those ways where you you can you can uh, change your perspective and see things from a totally different perspective instantly and i like um you know i i like to check albums on psychedelics if i've been working with a band on an album or something 
I, it's usually the, the acid test for me is usually to, uh, to get psychedelic with it and, yeah. and, uh, and be able to see this totally other vision of it. And I was going to say, how, about, how do you manage to navigate that without sort of worrying about damaging your own brain and your own kind of spirit? Well, I don't think it, I don't, I wouldn't say that, um, I wouldn't say that psychedelics are for everyone. I don't think everyone needs to take psychedelics, but I think most people can benefit from it. And, you know, I did it, you know, you know, because these things were, were highly illegal, of course, you know, it was, a, it was, um, an unregulated and an unmonitored experience and I mean now there are a lot of people out there who, who can be with you when you first do psychedelics and guide you through the you know through that experience which I think is really awesome and really you know useful so um, yeah I don't know it was I, I don't you know I didn't take acid hardly at all but um, I do mushrooms occasionally. And I like DMT is really what I like. Because I like, I like it takes you into a deeply psychedelic place almost instantly. And there's no real come down. And it only, only lasts a short period of time. Um, if, if it lasts an hour, you've, you've done well from a, from, from a hit of it. And it does something so, so much happens often within half an hour, but it takes me days to catch up and to realize what I was and to analyze it. And um, I think it's a really, it's a really crazily deep experience. And the fact that evolution has produced these substances and, and that we have the receptors for them, it's there for a reason. You, if you if you want to you know they, they say oh well the things have it because it's a poison and it, you know if, if you if you eat something psychedelic you won't do it twice well that's that's clearly not true there's plenty of people who, who are very happy to go back the second time it just doesn't make sense you can it's it's there's something incredibly complex about it but also it has a certain logic and truth within it and it's not infinitely variable it has a language and an alphabet and uh, uh its own sort of way of being but it, it's not uh you know it's not like anything could be seen it always has a certain there's something programmed into it somehow and i think it's like one of these crazy things like dna that we're only just really starting to understand and thank God they stopped using terms like junk DNA, right? I mean, mm. fucking insane. I, when I heard that phrase, I was like, there is no fucking way that something as complex and all-encompassing as DNA has junk in it. It just doesn't make sense. And of course, now they know that the junk DNA is, you know, the switches that make different parts of it turn on turn off how often it turns on turns off and i mean it's just such a super psychedelic thing dna all right i uh 
it's a sort of matrix of 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 inc incredibleness and yeah i find that psychedelic experience at its best is like that and i always have good experience with dmt i don't uh, use it i don't abuse it uh you know i consider it to be something like a sacrament or something that you know you shouldn't just do you know you, know, you should do it to get off and to, to, to be high sure that should be part of it you should enjoy that because it's an enjoyable part of it but the actual uh, the thought processing that i've done on psychedelics uh, i think is it's warp factor and you know i needed it for uh, whatever reason um i i felt i needed it yes so which is which is great that you've got that kind of uh, harmonious relationship with it so what does this now mean for going forward in the you know you've you know after the, the last album and we're still in this kind of weird position with lockdown or not but who knows um what 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 are you working on and what's your next project i have a an album of remixes which is coming out in march i think hmm. or is it april um, I, I, I think I have to, if I look at my own Instagram, I guess, <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's coming out soon and it's remixes of um, six tracks from All Things Being Equal and two tracks that were from the same sessions but weren't on All Things Being Equal. Right. Um, so yeah, that's coming out. I remixed it myself, which is sort of the old school way, I believe, of doing it. You know, if, if Kraftwerk did an extended 12 inch, they did the mix. <laughs> you know, or, or a lot of these things, or like Harley Glass, the, the extended instrumental one, you know, it's still Mike Chapman, he, he does the mix, he produced that record. They didn't, they, there wasn't uh, <clears throat> DJ remixer dudes like there is now. And I never uh, really bought into the remix phenomenon of, of thinking that you're going to, if you get someone from a different genre to remix you in that genre, that you're going to have all this crossover. I never really, never really made that much sense to my way of thinking and doing things. And the only person I ever asked to do a remix was, um, well, they were boys own at the time, Andy Weatherall. Right. And they turned us down with Big City. They turned us down flat. And, but they were doing, he, he had so much awesome shit, we, we were. But uh, I guess over time he became uh, a fan of Space Mentry and um, he'd come to Spectrum shows and stuff. And I asked him to do a remix from this thing and just before he died, <laughs> And he said he would love to do a remix, but he couldn't do one now because of his commitments and stuff he had on. And uh, it, it could happen sometime, but he couldn't do it right now. And yeah, it was about a week before he died. So, um, so when that happened with Boys Own, we were just like, fuck it, let's just do it ourselves. 
you know we know we know kind of what we want to do anyway and you know i don't i also don't like remixes that sort of destroy the song it's like if you if you create another song and it, it's it's kind of better than the song that you're remixing I, that's cool but most of the time it doesn't do that and um uh i think they for every one remix it turns out really great i think there's nine that uh so yeah, I remix it myself. Yes, and then I mean, just kind of, have you got anything else, kind of project-wise coming up? You know, after I have, I don't know if I can talk about it or not. I have. I've been working on an album in lockdown with one of my big buddies here in Portugal. Uh, who I've produced a couple of albums for in the last 10 years. I think if anyone wants to figure it out, they can figure it out pretty easily from that. But um, yeah, we've been working on an album that we both have the same, the same vibe as all things being equal. We both believe that there's uh, a new model is needed. We need to uh, change a lot of things about the way we were, the amount of Pandora's boxes that have been opened that, that, that we can never put the stuff back in again. And these sort of uh, vortexes of fucking toxicity that come out um, that we wanted to make an album that was upbeat, lively, uh, vibey, it was essentially talking about it was was meant to be soul food for people dealing with you know because my, my personal belief is that it's not going to be easy now to, to to get things back to where they they need to be um with the planet the oceans and the air and things with travel the amount of beef we eat <clears throat> Yes. Easy. It's going to be an uphill fucking climb, but it is actually, it can actually be, it can be done and we can all feel so much fucking better than we do rather than walking around going, what the fuck is going on? We can actually be part of, because for anything to change, there are so many different elements of things that, 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 that are feeding into this fucking craziness. And you know, we all have to do it. The same people who created this problem, us, you know, and there's no point blaming Bernays or, you know, <laughs> seduction by business, being seduced to do things in very clever ways. Um, there's no point. It's just, that's it. Unfortunately, we, we did it. We bought into it. We, we thought we could have all this crazy fucking thing and somehow it was all going to be okay with endless population growth as well. So uh, we have to uh, accept that it's going to be a bit of a steep climb, but so we're trying to make a record that's just feels like an awesome fucking record. And I, I have a weird theory that uh, super tough times make the best music. Yeah. And I think working with this, my buddy, he's, he's also always been one of my favorite things anyway, as a person, but musically too. And 
he's just this the stuff he's done is just some of my favorite stuff and it's some of the simplest but it's really something about it is an, an extra level of uh, connection with him i can hear him projecting to people in a way that i don't think he ever did before and it sounds like it's coming not that he not that he would ever didn't sound like he was soulful but it sounds even more and um yeah so that's what i've been working on and uh i guess i, I don't know when it's going to come out i just started the mixing of it and I, I imagine it wouldn't come out till next year but um i you know there's going to be a big glut of records i feel from this you know Sony, every band in the whole wide world isn't on tour or, or on holiday or distracted by uh, much or probably looking for distraction. So I think there's going to be a big load of records. And I, I think it all, there's a lot of tough times going on out there, as everyone I'm sure knows. Um, and I think, you know, I, I believe again in the universal law for a reaction there's an equal and opposite reaction and we just have to steer that reaction to be something really fucking worthwhile and make this mean something rather than just it you know just being the, the clusterfuck it is and and having to realize that you know i mean the sort of toxicity that people like donald trump and boris johnson pump i mean boris johnson's just a fucking buffoon He's definitely not in Trump's ranks, uh, but I mean, Jesus Christ, so much toxicity poured out by someone uh, and with more impact than anyone ever could before. It's just been, I'm so fucking glad that that dude is out of the picture, at least for a while, because it was, that dude was, you know, one of the things, uh, I don't, pay attention to news or politics and I you know of course you can't totally not pay attention to it but it's really not my thing to but he stood out immediately as uh, as a politician as someone who's gonna really lower the fucking game even further than it ever had been before and it was gonna get fucking psychedelically horrible and I'm just glad he's gone I think it's been a better day for me every day. Every time I think about him now, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> yes. Well, it was, um, yeah, it was, it's been, it's been interesting. It was an interesting time. Interesting. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, just on that point with Adam Curtis, thinking, God, he must have been sort of right in this kind of six-part series, thinking I've virtually got an idea of it, and then so much happening so recently that he must have thought, right, just get the ending. I'm going to have to rewrite this bit again. Oh my God, there's another incident happening, and trying to sort of pull all these threads together. So I think that's yeah. kind of. Genius of Adam. Yeah, he did the social media one as well, right? That's an Adam Curtis one, right? Oh, Jesus Christ. But I mean, <laughs> intense. Yeah. Intense. 
So look, just last question then, just in a slightly naff way, but if you could have said something to your, your younger self, you know, starting out in your kind of path, if, was there anything you would have loved just to have sort of whispered in their ear and say, or two things that you would have thought, oh, actually, I'll do <laughs> things. Um, whoa. Um, hmm. Well, interesting one. Uh, well, you know, it's perception is a you know really is everything. Perception is everything, and our perception is everything. And I imagine that everyone is like me a little bit. And I'm like everyone a little bit. And I think your perception of yourself, other people can perceive you in a very different way than you can perceive yourself. It's very strange. It's, uh, we're, we're complex creatures. And uh, I think our perception is usually um, self, self-perception, I think is, uh, and being self-aware in a, in a good way like that is, uh, I'm not sure how common it is in, in young people. I think it's something maybe that grows with age and experience and, you know, learning from other people, you know. Yes, it, well, it's interesting because I used to go to a lot of these kind of weekend workshops, you know, how to help yourself or, you know, all those kind of like, um, trying to sort of have some sort of spiritual growth, I suppose. And there was one of those ones where you had to tell the, another person that you had never met until this workshop, how you, you know, thought of them or viewed them, you know, after a certain few, you know, like hours. And the person had this image of themselves. And I remember for once in my life, I sort of said how I thought of them, which was completely different. And it, it was like, it did shake her. Then a bit later on in the afternoon, she came up to me and went, you've got me completely right. And I was thinking, I thought she was going to punch me because she, you know, it was just, it was just kind of, and I realized we don't, until someone really tells you how you are, I don't think you know what kind of vibe. I don't think you'll have necessarily even have the same perception of, uh, you know, if you ask 10 people their perception about one person, I'm sure there'd be a, a some people would say he's the, the most awesome person or she's the most awesome person. Some may go, I, I, I fucking can't, don't, don't get it. Don't get them, don't, don't like them. So, I mean, that's the way it goes, isn't it, with humans, isn't that? The, some of us like, like each other more than others. Okay, yes. right? But have you ever met anybody then who's, who's told you what they think they are and you're a little bit stunned when going, my God, you know, especially someone who goes, oh, I'm quite relaxed and, you know, I let things go and you're thinking, God, you're the most uptight person I've ever met, and I'm always on eggshells around you. What I have to say, I have to run by the conversation before saying it to the person, and they're often thinking they're relaxed. And I find that those moments are particularly interesting. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's a song on all things being equal, and there was a moment when I was about 14 or 15, and I was at school, and I remember I was walking to get cigarettes or something one day. And I don't know why, but I had this weird, flashed into my, my head. I wonder what my life will be like. And I wonder if I remember this point of thinking. Later on in my life, will I remember this point of me sort of having that, that sort of, uh, 
thought, that sort of feeling about things. And throughout my life, I mean, you know, sometimes it might be a decade or a period of time goes by. I think of that time and I think of the, I, I measure against that specific moment and measure, um, you know, what I think has changed in my life and things that I've improved or things that aren't good or so. And has that person changed much? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in some ways, you know, uh, some ways not and in other ways a lot. Yes, because sometimes it's kind of a change and sometimes it's just experiences, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also, you know, some, some people tell themselves that, that, that everyone should just fucking get them and, and they're fucking wonderful. I never really felt that. Um, I always wanted to try and grow as a person and not just always accept myself and try and fight bad habits and stuff like that. You know, not saying totally successfully, but be conscious of things like that a little bit. Yes, I know. I know on that, on that last point, I remember friends going to university or college and coming back after that three months, you know, or being away for the first time and meeting up at Christmas. And, and I'd noticed that a lot of people wanted to keep telling me, God, I've really changed. And I was thinking, you haven't changed at all. You've just been away for three months, getting very drunk and, and, and going to bed when you want and eating when you want. And, but, you know, I just noticed that kind of like desperation to think that you've changed. That was kind of, um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't feel any desperation to think I've changed, but um, I do need to think that I can change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we all do. So look, anyway, look, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Are you in Portugal, by the way? I am, yeah. Blimey, and I thought that, I love, but is that your, um, I was thinking your artwork behind you is amazing. That's just soundproofing, isn't it? There, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to proof much sound, but it does things with light, that's for sure. It does. They're, they're mirrored panels. Oh, I yeah, they're like, uh, they're like bubble kind of things. Nice. Well, I have to say, it did remind me, I remember seeing a clip of Lenny Kravitz in his studio once, and um, it had a lot of shiny things in it, as you can imagine, with Lenny Kravitz. So I, was I can imagine, he, I can totally see that Lenny Kravitz and me would have the same taste in um, Space Age, um, uh, wall hanging. I, I can totally see. I can totally see that would be his vibe. Well, he's probably got much higher budget than I do. <laughs> well, it was funny. It was a documentary that Mick Jagger was making about this solo album, and he went to have a record, you know, engineered or produced by Lenny Kravitz. And I was always a bit amazed with it because he was like, "My God, how could he afford this?" And I'm thinking, "You're, you're Mick Jagger, the Rolling Stones, and you're kind of in awe of Lenny Kravitz and his gear." And it was it was quite strange. I thought. I think Lenny Kravitz, though, did have um, uh, a lot of nice gear in his studio, a lot of nice, like, um, I guess he would, he bought it, it might have been at the, the lowest peak in the, those sort of things, like Trident desks and these really custom-made, awesome mixing desks from the UK. And because uh, he was really into that sound, right? He's a massive Hendrix head and Hendrix used all that sort of stuff. And um, 
Yeah, he, I, he, I wouldn't surprise me at his. I don't really know that much about it, but I, I do, I do, I know enough that I know that he had some awesome stuff. I think he did have a trident desk, and you know, some of those things are unique. You know, mm. they, they made one or two, uh, you know, the most, and before they moved on to their next generation, and, and even the ones they made were everyone already custom designed back then. It would, things hadn't been. Um, so streamlined, I guess, and everyone had a slightly different idea about how they wanted to do it. And even in my day and working in studios in the 90s, even, um, every studio you went to, people would sort of do things, some things they would, everyone would have their own little way they like to do things, which is, it's kind of cool. Yes. environment. I just did an interview well, a couple of months ago with a guy who was in Jellyfish, but he kept telling me about this studio in, I think it was near Cambridgeshire called Space Ward, Space something, Peter Kemp. And he kept saying, you know, everything that he, that was engineered or recorded there, this guy, you know, who now lives in LA, was, he would just desperately try and get hold of the copy because he just loved the sound of it so much. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, we were lucky though. There's there's some interesting people doing stuff, and the places is recorded with Spaceman Three back in the eighties. They, they were always interesting places. The different studios and the dudes who ran them. They were always uh, it was always interesting, <laughs> in one way or another. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Right, look, I must let you get on. But thank you ever so much again for your time. This has been amazing. Yeah, thank you. And no best of luck for the year. And I'm so curious about your next project. It'll be very Yeah, and, and as I say, I have the remix album, uh, which is called Almost Nothing is Nearly Enough. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you again. This has been great. Thanks a lot, Pete. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 And that, dear listener, is how you say goodbye in a concise and precise way. Anyway, that was also me in conversation with Peter Kemba, Spaceman 3, and also Sonic Boom. A massive thanks for giving me the time for that interview. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me for some exciting reason, make it nice. You can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And like I said, um, just positive, really. Let's face it, life's too short. And uh, also, all these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify iTunes, Podbean, just do C86 show again. <laughs> Curl surprise. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.